Ah, wonderful, wonderful. So, welcome along. It is great to have you here. Um, in case you missed it before, my name is Dave, and it's my privilege to be part of the team here at Hills and pastoring this community. We, um, we last week started a series, a teaching series we're calling DNA, which is looking at some of the core values of us as a church. And we looked at last week, particularly putting first things first. So this idea that we are Christ-centered, we are biblically based, that that is our foundation, that is the rock on which we stand, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today we're looking at, if that was our first things first, if that was our foundation, today's about looking at what fuels that, what drives that, what enables us to continue to run and press forward in that. So we're looking at two key values that we have as a church in that we are Holy Spirit-empowered and that we are prayerful, that we long to be Holy Spirit-empowered and we long to be a prayerful community. So with that said, let's turn to the book of Acts in the first chapter, reading from just from verse 4 through 8. It says this, On one occasion while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Everyone say gift. My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. We've seen baptism by water today. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We said baptism means immersion, means to be completely covered. He's saying you will be immersed with Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates, but the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, everyone say power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, would you take your word and would you just solidify in our souls, we pray, God. Would you do what only you can do? Take this two-edged sword and transform our lives, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. One of the, um, one of the, the, the privileges of being firstly a teacher and now in ministry is that I get to spend a lot of time with people and there's a lot of people who sort of invite you into their life. And one of the things about Uh, spending time with people is that you meet lots of people. One of the things about meeting lots of people is that you meet all kinds of people. And especially as a teacher, you come into contact with all sorts of folk. And some of the teachers are looking at me right now and they've already already said preach. (laughs) Sometimes you meet some folk who, I'm trying to think of the politically correct way to say this, who, who maybe are not queued up on normal social etiquette and you learn to sort of navigate and deal with folk and have these conversations and for the sake of this story I'm going to use a different name in case he's watching online but we had this one young lad at at school I'm going to call him Barry everyone say Barry not his real name but what a what a great name Barry is and uh normally so I was a PE teacher at a school and our office was right in the middle of the school gym right so what what would happen every single day regularly throughout the day, students would come into the gym if they wanted to see us, they'd knock on that gym door and they'd wait until someone, there was like eight of us in this tiny little office where we were, one of us would get up, open the door, say, what is it that you want? And then that student would ask permission to talk to the teacher, right? That was kind of the normal 
social etiquette of how things worked, except for Barry. And Barry had this uncanny ability to always come at a particular time. Like, he didn't come before school, he didn't come recess, didn't come lunch, didn't come after school. He always managed to get out of class to come and see us. So he came at a time when you weren't expecting him. Uh, and he, he always seemed to come at the time when we as PE teachers were, of course, because we're PE teachers, working diligently. Uh, I'd, I'd choose to deny the vicious rumours that we used to use freeze to play hands-free volleyball or miniature indoor cricket or things like that. We're always working diligently at our desks. And I remember we'd, we'd be sitting there at, you know, at the computer and you'd just be in the zone and Barry would always rock up at this time, right? But Barry would never knock on the door. And he wouldn't wait for someone to come and get him. He had this uncanny ability to sneak into the office without anyone realising. And he would stand right in your blind spot. So if you, you'd be sitting here working away at your laptop and Barry would be like this, just standing there staring at you over your shoulder. And he could be there for minutes on end without anyone realising until like, you know, you got up or what, you were hungry or you just moved. And you just, in this moment, you'd sort of look up and every time you'd almost have a heart attack as you turn like, oh, Barry, how long have you been there for, champ? And it always, that's how he operated. It'd always just be this very socially uh, inept young chap, this tiny little guy, super nervous, super shy, really struggled to connect with anybody. And he was just a different sort of a lad. And then years later, uh, when I had more of a ministry role at the school, we had a new school pastor come in. The school pastor to me, oh, I've got an old collegian who's going to come and bring the word in chapel. We had this thing called chapel three times a week, miniature church. And he said, I was like, oh, really? That's awesome. Who is it? And he goes, it's this kid called Barry. And I was like, Barry, are you sure? He goes, yeah, man, I heard him preach at this thing and he was full of fire and engaging and it was amazing. I was like, are you sure you're talking about the Barry that I'm talking about? We sort of went back and forth. He goes, no, this kid's incredible. And so anyway, I was like, yeah, whatever, give him a go. And he came in and he preached at chapel and he just brought this phenomenal word. He was this completely different person. It was probably three or four years after the Barry I knew had left school. And I remember going up to him after the lesson being like, man, you like, what has happened to you? You are just this totally different person. You are, you have like this confidence. You got this fire and this passion for God. I'm like, what has happened in your world? And do you know what he said to me? He said, it's, isn't it interesting what happens when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit? And he said he'd gone on this missions trip, like a six-month DTS thing. And he, while he was over there, he just encountered the Spirit of God. And God had moved on his life and brought this guy. He still was quirky and we loved him for his quirkiness, but he had this confidence in who he was now. He had this confidence in who God was and he boldly would get up and start preaching that. He ended up leading youth ministries, this incredible move of God on this kid's life. Isn't it amazing what happens when we encounter Holy Spirit? And our heart as a church is that we would be a church that is empowered by Holy Spirit. And here's the first thing I want to do. I want to explain. Firstly, who is Holy Spirit? Now, some of you are already looking at me weird because I haven't put the in front of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit 
is God. You know, in the Scriptures, there's 32 names given to Holy Spirit. And in the passages that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at two particularly Greek words, one called paraclete. Everyone say paraclete, which means advocate, counsellor, or effectively lawyer, someone who stands before a judge on your behalf. And the other one is pneuma. Everyone say pneuma, which means spirit. But in English, we put the Holy Spirit because it just makes us feel better. But actually, Holy Spirit, pneuma just means Holy Spirit, means breath of God. And so when we talk Holy Spirit, we need to realise Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. He is part of the Trinitarian Godhead. And by Trinitarian Godhead, we, we use this word in church called Trinity, which means Father, Son and Spirit. Three in one. And it's really difficult as a human being to wrap our heads around. I don't know if we'll ever be able to, but the best illustration I can think of is the statue of David. Everyone got that in their mind? Statue of David? Anyone been there to Florence and been able to see that? The statue of David's one of the most famous statues ever, right? The statue of David is a piece of stone, right? It is a piece of stone. It is also a piece of art. It is also David. Those three unique independent things, but they are one. They are in one being. That's the way that I kind of look at it. You can have three unique, specific persons, but they are one thing. God, Father, Son, Spirit, three in one. Three unique persons, entities, one, but they are one. The Trinity. It is something that human beings have been trying to wrap their heads around for thousands of years. Well, for 2,000 years, and we still sort of wrestle with it. But that's, that's our statement of faith, that we believe that God is triune, that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Holy Spirit is God. He is God. He's a part of the triune Godhead. And so we need to understand that Holy Spirit is a person. He is God, and He is a gift from God to the people of God. Now, why did Jesus send him? All through Scripture, when it talks about that Jesus over and over again, if you read the book of John over and over and over again, he's like, I'm going to send Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the counsel. I'm going to spend, send the advocate. It's better for me, better for you if I go and he comes. Over and over again, he's just focused on, I'm sending Holy Spirit to you. Why? What is the purpose in God sending him, And that's where we come to Acts chapter 1, where it says, You shall receive power. Why does Jesus send Holy Spirit? So that we, the church, the people of God, would be empowered. Now, why do we need power? Why does anyone need power? What is the purpose of power? To enable something to achieve its purpose. To enable something to achieve what it was created for. Are you with me? We've got a great sound system here. Do you know this morning as we were setting this thing up, there was all sorts of issues with the power and therefore it wasn't doing what it was created to do. God created His church for a purpose, to be His hands and feet on the earth, to be the light in the darkness, to proclaim the goodness of God. And He says, I am going to give you the power to do what I have created you to do. Amen. And so without Holy Spirit, we have no power and that which what it was created for will not happen. He says, you need Holy Spirit. You need my Spirit to be breathing in and through you that you can do what I've created you to do. He even says, you'll do greater things than these. 
greater things than what he had done. Holy Spirit is not someone to be feared. We, it's almost like, especially in Baptist circles, we talk about Father, Son and Holy Scripture. Jesus is the Word, but don't forget the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, that is a gift to the church. And we long to be empowered by Holy Spirit. That we would be able to fill the purpose for which we have called. Now that Greek word power, I'm giving you some Greek words today. Is that all right? The Greek word is dunamis. Everyone say dunamis. Say it like you mean it. Dunamis. Do you know what it means? This is what it means. It's a rich word. It means one, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. So just because of who it is, it has power. Just because of who he is, he has power. It means power for the miraculous, for the things that don't happen, the supernatural. It means moral power for excellence of soul. It means power for influence. It means power of resource. And number five, it means like a military power for advancement. So when Jesus says, I'm going to send Holy Spirit so that you would have power, He's not just talking about so that the church would become magicians going around and just doing miraculous things. He's talking about the complete counsel of God, the fullness of the mission that He has given the church, that we would see miraculous power. We would see the hand of God working in the world. But more than that, that we would see power of character, that we would see power of influence, that He would open doors, that He would bring transformation to the world. Amen. This is why we have power. Now, what I want to focus on today in the time that we have is the how. How does Holy Spirit work? How does He impact and influence the church and the world? I'm going to give you five shons. Five shons that you can write down. Remember, um, who's that kid's singer who said big words that end in shon? And it was Colin Buchanan. Big words that end in shun. Anyway, I'm going to give you five shons and we're going to look at the theology and then after that, I'm going to break it down and give you an illustration. Here's the first thing. How does Holy Spirit work in power? What is this power? Number one is revelation. Revelation. Holy Spirit has been given to the church that the church might encounter revelation. What do I mean by revelation? Let's go to the Bible. John Chapter 14, 11 to 17, says this, Jesus talking, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, the miracles. Very, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate, the Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And if you jump ahead to verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit whom my Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, do not give to you, uh, 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Chapter 15, verse 26, 27 says, When the Advocate comes, when Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify, everyone say testify, about me. And you must testify. So what the Word is saying is that Holy Spirit serves the purpose of illuminating Christ in the hearts of people. That He is the one who points to Jesus. That these girls who had this awesome moment today of standing in front of their church family and friends and saying, hey, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. The reason they got to that point in life is because Holy Spirit had come upon them and revealed the truth of the Gospel to them. That is what Holy Spirit does. He brings revelation of truth. And without Him, it says, no one can confess Jesus is Lord except by Holy Spirit. That is how we come to faith, that the Spirit of God is moving on the people of God, that He is drawing people to Himself. He's opening our eyes to this revelation of truth, that this Word goes from being words on a page to being life. He says, this is who you are, that we have this revelation that apart from him, I am dead. I'm dead in my sin and transgression. I'm not good. I'm not a good person. No one here is good. Only God is good. And I need a saviour. That's what Holy Spirit does. He opens our eyes to that. He reveals that truth, yeah? So number one, revelation. Number two, transformation. I'm going to say transformation. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, says this. If I can find it. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that crazy? Like we just talked about the fact that we are not good by nature, Ephesians 2, objects of wrath, people who make dumb decisions and hurt people, innately selfish. When Holy Spirit comes and moves on our lives, He brings transformation. Another Sean we could use is sanctification. That we actually begin to change We as human beings begin to change. Our desires become godly desires. He puts a new seed in us. And what we were is not who we are. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5 talks about fruit. Fruit being this evidence of sanctification, the evidence of transformation, that there'd be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are not naturally what we have. Look at young children. We are naturally very selfish, aren't we? Think about when you were a kid and it was holiday breakfast time. You would not by nature get up, walk out and think, right, I'm going to really evenly distribute the Cocoa Pops today so everyone gets exactly the same amount. That is not what we do naturally. The natural thing that we do is I'm going to eat all of the Cocoa Pops so my sisters and my brother miss out. But what happens when Holy Spirit gets a hold of us? He begins to change us and transform us and the fruit of the Spirit begins to be formed in us. 
And where we used to not have self-control, we find ourselves being self-controlled. Where we used to be full of fear, we start to find ourselves full of faith. Where we used to struggle to forgive, we find that forgiveness becomes a part of who we are. God changes us, transformation. And it's a process. It is not that you are immediately just transformed. It's that you are being sanctified. You are justified. You are transformed in terms of your standing with God. But our lives start to look different every day, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is the work of Holy Spirit. He empowers us into transformation. Number three, edification. Everyone say edification. 1 Corinthians, this is where we start to get into the gifts. Now, let me put a disclaimer out there. We don't have time today to go into this in heaps of detail. I'm starting at the baseline. In a couple of weeks' time, when we get to asking for a friend, there's already some questions around the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm really excited to preach on that in a couple of weeks. That's where we're going to dive deeper. Today, I'm giving us a baseline. Is that good? 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, and I'll read from verse 7, says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of Holy Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He determines them to each one just as He determines. Chapter 14, flip over the page, verse 3 to 5. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Here's the thing. Holy Spirit imparts gifts to the church. And there's a whole heap of gifts and we're going to look at them in more detail later. But He imparts gifts to His church and those gifts are not to be feared. They are for our good and for His glory. That God would grant gifts, that there is a gift of speaking in tongues and that gift is for self-edification. Unless I stand up and speak in tongue and someone interprets and it's for Mutual edification, the gift of prophecy. So speaking the word of God, speaking into uh, someone's circumstance, words of knowledge, these things are gifts that God will give for the edification of the church, that we might be built up, that we might be encouraged. You know, just the other week, I was preaching at a young, young adults camp with a bunch of people going through a bunch of stuff. And I'll tell you this, I was sitting, I was praying for this one guy and I just had this, this image uh, that he was standing by like an ocean and behind him was dry and barren land. And usually when that stuff comes to me, I tend to just go, okay, I might have had, you know, bad burritos last night, but it might be of God. And if it's of God, take it. If, you, if it doesn't land and it doesn't sit right, just discard. I said, but this is what I think God might be saying. And I just shared that vision with him. He broke down into tears and he goes, Dave, you'll not believe this. He goes, I've just been given an opportunity 
to go to America and I'm not sure if I should go or not. He's like, and I'm literally standing on the edge and there's, there's the land behind me, which I'm, I'm like, I love, but I feel, like, I feel like I've done everything I can. Like the land's been plowed up. It's, there's no more work for me there and I feel like I've got to go. I was like, well, maybe that's God encouraging you that it's time to go. Like there's something in that, just that word to encourage and edify, yeah? To build us up. And there's stories in this place over and over and over again of people who've been encouraged by a word in season. There's a gift that God gives to edify and build up the body of believers. Edification is key. Number four, I'm trying to move quickly. Number four, proclamation. Everyone say proclamation. There is power for the advancement of the kingdom of God that the Word of God would go out, that truth would be proclaimed. As I read before in John 14, that there we would do greater things, it says. Jesus Himself, you'll do greater things, that the Word would go forward. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and he does what? Preaches, he proclaims the truth. And what happens when the truth is proclaimed under the inspiration of Holy Spirit? 3,000 people have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And that revelation ultimately starts to work transformation in their lives and they begin to follow Christ. And as they begin to follow Christ, they begin to see edification and the built up of the church, the building up of the church, all over the Near East, that they then go and start to proclaim. And the gospel goes forward. The entire world is transformed by this one moment in time when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost in Acts 2. Until that point in time, it was just 11 dudes and a few others sitting in an upper room. No power They'd spent three years with Christ, but they had no power to, to go and do that work. And then in that moment, everything changed. And right now, as you look around these courts, what you will see is just a tiny, tiny snippet of what God is doing right across the world. We are a part of the church, the body of believers, people who have been saved had that revelation, been saved by grace through faith and said, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you and may you do a work in my life that I can go out into all the world and proclaim the goodness and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that everyone would know that there is no other name given to men by which we can be saved. And it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by His Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to do that. And when we sit here and go, well, I can't do that. I can't talk to my friend. I can't talk to this person. I can't talk to my work colleague. It's because you're trying to do it yourself. You're not supposed to do it yourself. When you try and do it yourself, you're going to fail. But when you say, Holy Spirit, open a door, give me courage and confidence, He moves upon that. He moves, He prompt. And then we go, then we're called to obey. And this brings me to my fifth point, which is invocation. Everyone say invocation. You're like, what the heck does that mean? Noel just looked at me like, what are you talking about? Good. Invocation. Another way of saying that is pray and obey. 
Invoke the name. Pray and obey. Invoke the name of Jesus. Again, all through Scripture. What are, the, what are the disciples? What are the followers of Jesus? What are the apostles doing? Over and over again, when they're confronted with stuff, what they do is they pray. They pray. Let's go. Oh, there's so many passages. We'll go to Philippians 4 and have a look at verse 6. Philippians 4 verse 6. Actually, we'll start at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray, pray, pray. How does the Spirit of God begin to move in and through the people of God when the people of God pick up prayer. You know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the armour of God. And we talk about the fact we have the helmet of salvation. We talk about the fact we have the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, the shield of faith. And we last week we talked about picking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you know it doesn't end there? Do you know what it says next? It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Prayer is still part of the armour of God. Ephesians 6, prayer is part of that armour of God. It's part of the, one of the weapons that God has given us. We are called to invoke the name of Jesus Christ. We are called to be a people who say in Jesus' name and we call upon Him. In the book of Acts, every time trouble came upon them, what did they do? They got together and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and it says the Spirit of God came and began to shake them and stir them and empower them to be bold. Don't believe me? Well, let's look at the life of Peter. Band, you can come up and we're going to close in a second. But the life of Peter, I cannot think of a better illustration than Holy Spirit power at work through a man to bring about the purpose of God. Because when you think about Peter, do you know how he began? How did Jesus encounter Peter? It all began when Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus comes along to Peter and he's like, Hey, come follow me. And this weird thing happens because it says Peter laid down his nets and followed him. Now, why the heck did he do that? Because in Jewish culture, the pinnacle, the ultimate, the highest thing you could attain to was to be a rabbi, right? Was to be someone who taught the Word of God. That was like the number one. That's the AFL player of the day or whatever it is that you want to be. Every kid grew up wanting to be that. And there was levels of schooling you had to pass. So the kids would come in and they'd do school. And if they were good enough, they were told you're good enough, you can go to the next level. If you weren't good enough, if you failed that test, you were said, you don't have what it takes, go and follow your father's trade. Now, Peter is a fisherman, which means at some point in his life, he has been told, you don't have what it takes. You are not good enough to be someone who will proclaim the Word of God. That's not in your future. Go and become a fisherman. And Peter has carried that his whole life. And then he sees this strange rabbi. Jesus comes along and says, hey, come follow me. 
and He calls out something in Him. He calls out capacity. He calls out a calling. He calls out a future on Peter. And Peter leaves his nets and follows Him. And as you follow the life of Peter, what you see is this guy over and over again, I'm going to do it my way. You know, at the transfiguration, Jesus on a mountain, Peter's like, let me build you this. All over, it's like, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. Even when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come, Peter picks up the sword. He's like, I'm going to do this. And he cuts off the soldier's ear and Jesus is like, he who lives by the sword, dies by the sword, puts the soldier's ear back on and then it's like, now you can take me. And Peter must be going, what the heck? What is going on here? Like Peter's, he's, even when Jesus is like, you know, let me wash your feet. He goes, no, 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 you're never gonna wash my feet. And Jesus is like, I have to wash your feet. He got no part of me. He goes, well, do it my way and wash my whole body. Like it's always His way. Even when Jesus says, you're gonna deny me. And Peter's like, I'll never deny you. When everyone else falls away, I will be the one who follows you. That's how Peter operated in his own strength over and over and over again. And then he has that moment when push comes to shove and what does his own strength do? Fails him drastically. This man who had this call now upon his life at the pinnacle moment denies his Lord and Saviour three times. And there's this beautiful moment in John chapter 21 where Peter says to the guys after Jesus has died, he's risen again, he's appeared to them once or twice and now they're in this weird space and Peter says to the boys, he's like, hey guys, I'm going fishing. That's more than a statement of I'm going to go fishing. That's him saying, I don't know what to do now. I'll just go back to my old way of life. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to be this person who's going to lead this church. No, no, I'm going to go back and follow my father's trade. And then Jesus meets him on the beach and he's cooking him breakfast. And there's this beautiful moment, end of John chapter 21. Peter comes to Jesus and they have this one-on-one and Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then for a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And it says that Peter was cut to the heart And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he said, feed my sheep. And he goes on and tells him that one day he's going to die this pretty horrific death. And in the English, it seems like a very strange, unusual, weird passage. But when you read it in the Greek, it begins to make sense. Because Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you agape me? Everyone say agape. That means unconditional, sacrificial love. And Peter responds, Lord, I phileo you, which means brotherly affection, but not undying sacrificial love. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. And then the third time, Jesus, a better translation is, do you just phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. 
You know, you know I failed you. You know I don't have what it takes. You know I was a fisherman when you first called me. You know I don't have the means to be this person you want me to be. I can't do it. I can't give you agape. I can't promise that. What I can do is say, I have a brotherly affection for you and I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could be who you wanted me to be, but I can't be that guy. And Jesus says, come follow me. And then prophesies over him that he will be someone who will ultimately die for his faith. It's such a powerful moment because two chapters later, this guy says, I can't be who you're calling me to be, is standing in front of thousands of people preaching the gospel. And then a couple of chapters later, he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin declaring that this guy, this lame beggar was healed by him in the name of Jesus Christ. And then a couple of chapters later, he's walking past people and his shadow is healing sick folk. A fisherman rejected by men who doesn't have what it takes. What's the difference? What's the difference? Holy Spirit at work in his life. Holy Spirit at work in his life. Do you know how Peter dies? He dies upside down on a cross because he said he wasn't fit to die the same way that his Saviour died. That's a man who had nothing to give, who had been broken, who was completely despondent, who was the end of himself, but the power of God was made manifest in his life to become the leader of the church that is now two, three billion people right across the world because Holy Spirit was moving in and through him. Holy Spirit brought the revelation, brought the transformation, brought edification in His own soul and in the church and then empowered Him to be a person who would proclaim the Word. And He understood that the means by which that happens is not His might. The means by which that happens is prayer and a reliance upon the power of God. And all we do is pray and obey. When God prompts, obey and you watch what He does. Oh, that we would be a people who are Holy Spirit empowered and devoted to prayer. What would we see in the world? What would we see right here in our midst? I'm telling you, there won't be room. There will not be room. And so as we close today, the Lord's put a couple of things on my heart that we would have an opportunity to respond, that we would have an opportunity to pray. And I just feel a couple of things. One, that God has put someone on your heart, someone who does not know the Lord, someone who is far from Christ, it's on your heart. It's time to start praying for them again, friends. It's time to cry out for God for them. That Holy Spirit would come and bring revelation of who He is, yeah? Number two, if there's anyone here this morning who you've, you've not committed your life to Christ, that you're in that place where, you know, you're living your own way, you're living just to make money, make friends, do whatever it is that comes before you, but there's no purpose, there's no eternal purpose, there's no eternal hope. that you would make a decision today that just maybe Holy Spirit has revealed to you the power of God. Just maybe Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the fact that apart from Christ, there is nothing. 
that that Christ has come, that you would have life and life to the full, that you would know that death is just a doorway into resurrection life, that you were created for more than this moment and that the Lord has come, that you would have life to the full. I'm gonna pray for you in a moment. The third thing the Lord's laid on my heart is just for a touch of the Holy Spirit. That there's some people here who are feeling dry. There's some people here who are feeling empty. Some of you are relating to Peter thinking, I don't have what it takes. I barely got here this morning, let alone gonna share the gospel with my friends. Do you know what you need? You need an encounter with Holy Spirit. And He wants to meet you exactly where you're at today. So if if that is you, I want you to come and we wanna pray for you. We wanna pray for you. We wanna just believe that God's gonna pour out something fresh on your life, amen? And we wanna invite the prayer team to come forward. But with that said, let's stand to our feet. you're here today and you're like, I need, I've had a revelation of who He is. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to pray for you right now. So can we all just close our eyes where we're at? And I'm not even going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. We want to pray for you. And then I'll ask you to, after this prayer, you can come and see us. We want to put a Bible in your hand and connect with you and help disciple you. But if that's you, can you just raise your hand where you are? You're like, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make that commitment today. Hallelujah, almost stepped off of that. They limited my walking today. Awesome, let's pray, church. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray for everyone here who's saying yes to you. We just declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We declare Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus Christ is the one who was and is and is to come. And we declare by the power of your spirit that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we pray for that breakthrough. We pray for revelation. We pray for transformation on people's lives all over this place right now. Transformation, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. From death to life, from death to life, just implant that seed of faith right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. And if you want to come, if you need that fresh touch this morning, come, come, come. The band's going to play. We've got a prayer team here and we would love to pray with you. Come and let's uh, just trust that God is going to do something and speak powerfully into your life. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.